Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. So I'm carrying on the series of We See Jesus, um, but I'm going to focus on because it's been um, homelessness week this week, and therefore I'm going to focus in with that slant in mind as well. Um, obviously, we do quite a significant amount with the homeless and with those in need, with those who are sleeping, and those just um, potentially just disadvantaged and have had challenges to live the life that they are potentially able to live. And therefore, I wanted just to use this series and this focus on We See Jesus and just look at it um, with that kind of um, thread running through it. So, with that, can you just turn to Matthew 25? I just turned to Matthew 25. Um, I'm aware some people in the audience are constantly kind of thinking about and, and kind of running over like um, this kind of thing of like who's the best at this and who, who's the kind of the best at like maybe sport or best at kind of um, I don't know like Destiny or FIFA or it could be like who's the best at I don't know kind of um, just got the, the best hair or any of those things and stuff. So I know that's kind of like so my, my first question as you turn into that is that to just kind of appease that itch that I know a number of you have is it's going to be hard. I, wa- I want you to just think about um, who is within society not names please don't use names that would be quite awkward this morning don't use names but within society who would you think who would you say if you had to now don't be Christian about it and go on no one but who, who would you say okay um, is the best in terms of could be role in society is kind of like a contribution to society you can use names if it's relevant but not names of people that are close to you okay um and therefore by opposite of that what would you view as the people that have the least contribution to society the people that have least thing and if you want to just do it as a neutral as possible so well people that do this job or people that do these things they're the least people that do this are the best okay i'm not going to get you to respond i'm just wanting to think about it and talk about it. with the person next to you's got two minutes or a minute let's say have a conversation with the person next to you um who's the best who contributes the most to society who is if you would say actually these people this group this type they're the best these people they don't do much they don't contribute much at all i know no one wants to do this okay but it's important we have a go okay so come one minute, have a conversation, I won't even listen, okay? Just have a talk about it. got 30 seconds who's the best who's the least or the worst in society it's a difficult question to ask because none of us want to do it but we obviously think we do think it just don't want to articulate it (laughs) absolutely and we look at it for different ways don't we Okay, I'm not, I don't want any response back. Okay, the point is this. We're about to turn to a passage of scripture where Jesus talks about to the least of these. And he uses that phrase. And my, my, my point, even before we go there, is who we think is the least is probably different in the room. 
we may think least like poorest, most needy, and there's an element of that within what he talks about. We may think least like um, least value in terms of what they do and who they are is the least. We may think least like um, actually least sense of moral kind of compassion and, and kind of involvement in society. You may think that's the least, okay? But it's important because least and best, worst and best, is a very subjective thing for all of us sitting in this room. We're all very nice people, so I'm sure we find it very difficult or pretended to find it very difficult at least. Um, but it's, it's an interesting thing because Jesus does articulate some stuff around who he's describing, but he also throws some things into this little description here that actually don't follow the pattern of what we're talking about, especially when we start to exemplify them. And we start to look at, actually, is he just talking about, for example, the homeless of his day, the disadvantaged of his day, or is he actually extending it beyond that to talk about other people as well? So I'm just going to go there. So it's Matthew 25, verse 31. I'm going to intentionally avoid the very complicated and very difficult passages this morning in this verse. Not because I don't want to attempt to answer them, but because actually that's not what I want to focus on. Because that will draw attention away to something else. And whereas I want to focus on what we're going to just, the verse we're just going to focus on. Um, so it says, verse 31. When the Son of Man comes, Jesus talking, in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit down on the throne of glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate them from one one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come you, blessed of my, my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For, this is the key bit, For, I was hungry and you gave to me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we, listen to the language, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or when did we see you thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in? When did we see you naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king, Jesus, will answer and say to them, Should I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Okay? Two things, first of all. We're talking about a series about when we see Jesus. Jesus does something incredibly profound in this thing because he manages to connect himself to every person he's describing in that passage there. He connects himself to the hungry, he connects himself to the, the thirsty, he connects himself to the, the one in prison, he connects himself to the one that's naked, he connects himself to the one that's estranged, and he connects himself to the one who is kind of just not, not part of a community. He connects himself because he said, when you, they asked the question, when did, Jesus, when did we see you in those situations? And he said, you saw me when you helped out the least of these. So what's he doing? He's saying that actually there's something of me in every single one of these people. There's something of me in, in, in something of who they are. Whether they're hungry, naked, whether they're in prison or whether they're isolated. There's something of me in all of these people. Now, now the Quakers as a, as a Christian group or subgroup are very, very clear on this. That they believe that there is, I think their exact phrase is that 
there is a bit of God in every single person in humanity. Every single person. So, for example, for them, fighting in, in World War I and World War II was a no-go. Because whilst they would recognise the evil of the Nazi regime and things like that, they also recognise the fact that we can't shoot somebody, kill somebody who we believe there's something of God in them. How can we do that? So the Quakers, as a, as a group, to, to do their civic duty, their kind of national service, they said, look, we're not going to fight, but we will come as ambulance people, we will come as medics, and we will heal, and we will work with, on both sides. We'll work in the field, and we'll, and we'll provide medical treatment to the, to the British soldiers and the Allied forces, and we'll provide medical treatment to the Nazis and the kind of um, other side. So they provided both, because from their point of view, they believe that God was in everybody. And it has a logic to it, because we, we know that humanity is made in the image of God. And therefore, whether they're naked, whether they're hungry, whether they're poor, whether they're rich, whether they're in prison, whether they're isolated, whether they're free, whatever it may be, God's image is on all of them. And therefore, Jesus is connecting himself. So look, actually, when you see me is when you are seeing me in them. Part of seeing me is not just going, I see you in the scriptures. Part of me is not saying, I see you in worship. Part of me is actually, I recognise something of God, something of Christ in each person that I meet, that I interact with. Those who are naked and hungry, but those who are in prison and those who are isolated. He said, I recognise something of God in each of those people. Um, and that is just an interesting way to start it with, because Jesus connects himself with all these things. Jesus isn't saying that I was in those situations. He's saying that actually when you did it to the least of these, when you did it to the lowest of the low, you did it to me. Why? Because I'm connected to them. In their situations, in their circumstances, I'm connected to them. Now, we don't necessarily have a difficulty then when we kind of say um, that those who are hungry, yeah, let's feed them. Those who are thirsty, let's give them a drink. Those who are without home, let's give them a home. Those who are naked, let's, let's clothe them. But it's interesting because I don't think I've ever heard anybody, when we're talking about this passage, talk about the one that's in prison. Or talk about the one that's isolated. Or a stranger. Because a stranger is not a stranger in terms of like, um, oh, they're just a new person. A stranger in this context is someone that is not part of what they're part of. And therefore that immediately comes back to the question asked at the start, who's the best and who's the worst? Because... As soon as I have a definition for that, whether I want to articulate it or not, we all have a definition for that. As soon as I do that, the worst or the least is a stranger. Because I'm saying actually they're not part of what I measure as good. They're not part of what I measure as the best. Because let's be honest, whatever we decided in the room a minute ago, we had a subjective judgment. This is valuable versus this is less valuable. This has significance. The good has significance. The best has significance. This doesn't have significance. Now, I'm pretty sure, knowing you lot, that up here somewhere will be the people who have done stuff to, to change society, who are altruistic, who are positive contributors to society. And probably, if I'm moving this way, it's probably not going to be the poor and disadvantaged. It's probably going to be the rich who do nothing. As a general gauge in the room, that's probably where the answer is going to be. Okay? Now, therefore, immediately, what we've done is we've made them the stranger because they are strange to me because they don't sit in my category up here mm. did you say this reading of this is it is 100% about the poor and the hungry and the needy because it says it in there it's absolutely about that but it's also about the estranged and estrangement is about social isolation, of course it is, but actually it's not just about social isolation for the poor and the needy, it's about social, isol- social I- 
isolation for anybody that we isolate socially. Anybody. That the one in prison is not in prison because he's been such a good person that he's kind of been arrested because he was just, uh, I don't know, an, an extinction rebellionist or whatever it may be. That's not necessarily what we're talking about here. We don't know why they're in prison. They could have been in prison because they killed somebody. And yet Jesus just said, when you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. When you do it to the one that's in prison, you do it to me. When you do it to the murderer who's in prison, you do it to me. Push it a little bit further. When you do it to the sexual offender in prison, you do it to me. Because he is pulling in prison. That's difficult. Because that becomes more hard to reach to. And that's the point of what he's trying to say here. He is trying to pick up the fact that when you do it to the least of these Who's at your bottom? Who sits down on the kind of rung of what we view as actually they're the least successful, they're the least good, they're the least whatever it may be? Who is the least? Because when you do it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Because Jesus is saying, I don't just connect to the Mother Teresa's and the Bill Gates gives half his wealth away or the kind of just the genuinely good person in my workplace who's just, just a nice, decent person or the poor homeless guy that sits on the streets or even the kind of drug addict who, who has been abusive and all that kind of stuff but actually doesn't want to be like that. I also connect to the ones that actually we just don't like. Because when you're doing it to the least of these, you've done it to me. And so he is challenging the kind of thought process and as we look at this from a, a kind of in the context with a thread running through it of the fact that this has been homelessness week it is inclusive of that but if we just look at it as homelessness if we just focus on which we always did this passage i guarantee you would have been read up and down the country significantly this morning because church would have gone it's homeless week what do we read i'll read the least of us and it absolutely does include that it includes the hungry very clearly the thirsty very clearly Okay, the naked very clearly includes all that kind of physical lack. I don't have enough food. I don't have enough water. I don't have enough clothing. Physical lack. That's absolutely included in there. But if we just focus on people who are physically lacking things without questioning why we are focusing on that, what we're really doing is we're going, when I do it to the least of these, I, if it's just those who physically lack, then what I'm really doing is I don't physically lack, they physically lack, therefore in my position of superiority, I'm going to meet their need. Whereas if actually we go, actually this is about the way of viewing society, that who's the least? Because actually unless I deal with my reason why they are the least to me, unless I start to address that, then actually I'm going to just be this patronising good guy who just kind of helps people out who are lower than me. As opposed to somebody that goes, actually I've got an issue with this person that's the least. It's not just about them having nothing. It's about actually this person's the least on my list because I just don't like them. That's why they're the least. But if we limit it to actually they're, they're the least because they don't have anything, then I become patronising. But if I go, that actually, they're, they're the least because I don't like them, I've got to deal with me first before I can be, be to them and connect to them and do it to them as if I was doing it to Jesus himself because he connects himself to them. And that's very, very difficult because he connects himself to everybody on that hierarchy. Whatever we do, he connects himself to every stage of it. And that's the challenge for, for us as a community, for us as Christians, for us as the, uh, as the church. That he doesn't disconnect from people and therefore we can't disconnect from people. I've gone well off my notes. I'm just, just going to just try and re-come re back. 
the point of what Jesus is doing is he, he's adding value. He's adding value to every single person on that list. He, by connecting, he's adding value. And the beautiful thing about this is, to me, I was reading it this morning again, and I was like, actually, you, you can divide the list because you can go the hungry, the thirsty, the naked. That's a physical need, very practical need, homeless need, all that kind of stuff. Disadvantaged, it's very straightforward to meet. But as I said, then the stranger, the sick, and the one in prison, they're more social needs. And we don't know what area they sit on. The reason they're social needs is fascinating because Jesus doesn't say, when I was sick, you healed me. Now, I 100% believe in, in physical healing. Jesus clearly believes in physical healing. does it the whole way through. So we don't necessarily go there. So I say, look, Jesus didn't want to heal everybody. Um, that's not what he's saying. But in this passage, he said, when I was sick, he says, you came to me in this one. Why is he saying that? Because in this context, he's talking about sickness as something that excludes. He's talking about sickness as something that keeps people away from you. The leper the unclean people in society, the people that we wouldn't, even in modern day society where it's not as tangible, we don't often think actually that person's got cancer, I can't go near them, or that person's got leprosy, it doesn't exist in our in modern westernised society. But here, there's this idea of actually, when I was sick, you came to me, I, you put yourself at risk of getting my sickness. You put yourself at risk of being in this situation because I'm isolated. I'm away. And therefore you start to see this list and then he goes on to the next one. When I was a stranger, you welcomed me. So what's he starting to do here? He's starting to talk about the excluded, the isolated, those on the fringes of society. And that fringe is depending on which point you're in. The fringe to one person is different to the fringe to another person. And then he talks about those who are in prison, again, those who are isolated, those who are removed from society. The Jesus is not just talking about here, those who have physical need. He's talking about those who have social need. That could be potentially the wealthy, but it is going to be the people who are excluded from society. And he's saying, look, I connect myself to every single person on this list. And therefore he's saying, look, what are, is your response? Because when you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. Really what he's addressing is he's addressing the fact that it's about what's your attitude to those in need. That, that, that's really where he's getting to it. How are you responding when you see somebody in need? And that need might be one that you feel comfortable meeting. But that need might be one that you feel uncomfortable meeting. And he's saying, when you do it to the least of these, where's your least? That's the response he's looking for. That change in attitude, that, that, that change in mindset about how do we approach people. That it's, it's fascinating because within, within teaching geography, you deal with so many different things to do with um, poverty and and the kind of development gap between the wealthiest and the poorest and and all and all those kind of things and um there's an amazing thing we've, we've recently looked at which just caught my attention again that the idea of the almost like a birth lottery or uh, we didn't quite talk about sometimes there's like a postcode lottery in terms of where you live depends on what school you get access to depends on how therefore successful you're going to be etc all that kind of stuff and whilst that's true in the, in the UK to a certain degree, um, do you live in an area with good services and all that kind of stuff, or do you live in an area where actually you don't and therefore you can't move because you're not wealthy enough to move and it kind of traps you in that area, whatever it may be. But the thing about it globally is that we don't have any involvement where we're born. We have no, we have, we have no control over that. And therefore we sit here this morning having been 
born in an environment that probably meant that most of us in this room have had reasonable success and reasonable comfort moving through life because of where we've been born. And in the same kind of reflection of that, that there's, there, there's people in society who have been born in an environment where they don't have the same opportunities, they don't have the same chances. That could be in the UK, definitely globally, in certain countries, they don't have the same opportunities. And it's interesting because therefore you get social and political and ideological movements trying to address that. And you have this idea of maybe, I don't know, like liberal thinking where it's that actually really everybody's got the same opportunity. You give everybody the same chance um, and therefore they just need to work hard to make that chance. And that leads into that cap- cap- capitalism where you have this idea that actually the wealthiest people are just the ones that have worked hardest. They're just the ones that have they've kind of put the most effort in. They, 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 they've kind of made sure they've committed themselves to it and therefore that's led to wealth. And we, we know, whilst working hard can lead to wealth, at the same time, working hard doesn't always lead to wealth. And for some people, working hard never leads to wealth because they don't have the opportunity to do that. And therefore, we have this kind of thing of, like, therefore, we go for a different system. We go for this idea of, actually, let, let's have a communist system where, actually, no matter where you're born, no matter what environment you live in, we'll make sure everyone's equal. We'll make sure everyone has the same stuff across the nation, across the city, across the region, whatever, everyone has the same thing. doesn't matter what job you do, doesn't matter what um, your parental background is, we'll get rid of all that kind of postcode and we'll just say it's entirely equal. So whether you are from an originally wealthy family or whether you are from a family who had doctors and lawyers and all that kind of stuff in it, whether you yourself become a doctor and a lawyer actually makes no difference at all to your income, to your wealth, to your life stuff because we'll just make sure it's all equal. And we'll give you the same salary that we give to that person over there that, that has perhaps not got the same training as you have or perhaps not committed as much time to it as you have, but we'll get the same because we want to get rid of this postcode lottery. The problem with that is people resent it and they react to the system because they go, that's not fair. If I work for seven years to become a doctor, I'll get the same pay as person that's not had any training and just gone and worked, and no disrespect to it, but McDonald's, for example, that's not fair. And therefore, the society breaks down because people then start to think that's not fair. And therefore, we have issues with that same thing. But the point of those two extremes, capitalist economy, where it's about working hard and really that doesn't lead to success for everybody, just for some, not for everybody, or communist, where it's kind of like actually everyone's equal, we'll make sure everyone's the same. The problem with both those things, they, they, they fall down. Why? Because the issue is not, and that's not a political lesson for you, but the issue is not the system. The issue is not, um, do I have a system that, that can mean everybody has the same opportunity. Everybody is clothed. Everybody is fed. Everybody is, is kind of had drink. Everybody is kind of not in prison and, and nobody is kind of estranged and nobody's sick. Can I have a system that creates that? No. Because the point of what Jesus is trying to say is it's not about the system. It's not about the, the methods and the kind of routines you've got in there. It's about your attitude to them. And that, that's why he's bringing it right back, saying when you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. By connecting himself to each level, he's saying, actually, you are, by your attitude towards people, wherever they sit on that spectrum, whether it's physical need or social need, whether it's affluence or poverty, whether it's left wing or right wing, whether it's whatever it may be, your attitude towards them is he is starting to pick up, that's the issue. Because I want you to do it to the least of these in your world, then you've done it to me. And by doing it to me, you're going to actually, well, we value you, Jesus, therefore we value them at the same time. And then when I interact with someone who is physically in need, I'm not doing it from a position of going, well, I'm not physically in need, you are physically in need, and therefore I will provide for you. But actually what I'm doing is going, actually, I can see Jesus in you. And therefore I want to provide for you because I can see Jesus in you.
Or I can see Jesus in you, person in prison. Therefore, I don't want to just try and rehabilitate you because then I look like a good Samaritan. But I want to be be involved in your rehabilitation because I can see Christ in you. I don't want to kind of go, actually, we'll make sure everybody's equal so no one's in need. I want to be involved in your day-to-day life because I can see Christ in you. I want to be a part of that movement. And, they're, they're, and it's subtle and it's challenging because as Christians, we tend to come from a position of, we know Jesus, we have the answers. And therefore, we come to it from that stance point. And whilst we do know Jesus, and therefore we do have the answer, his point is going to actually, well, I'm connected to this person. And if you want to know more of me, then connect to them as well. Because I've connected to them. I'm part of them. When you've done it for them, you've seen me. You've seen part of me that you wouldn't have seen if you didn't do it. And when we start to do that, it's actually then we start to come with a different approach. Actually, I want to know more of Jesus. Therefore, I want to be amongst those who are hungry. Because when I'm amongst those who are hungry, and I provide them food, I'm starting to see Jesus in them in a way that I never knew before. When I'm with the ones in prison, I start to see Jesus in a way that I never knew before. Because... I start to be involved and I say, wow, I didn't realise that about him. When I do it for those who are estranged and I go to the person that's, that's not me, that is strange to me, then I say, wow, I didn't know Jesus in that way before. And now I'm not doing it from a point of view of being superior and being, actually, I know more than you do. Actually, I'm doing it from, I need to know more. Let me encounter you in your thirst. Let me provide for you. And actually, in doing that, I'm seeing more of Christ come through. Not in my good deed, not in my kind of like, oh, aren't I amazing? But actually in my interaction with you, I'm seeing Christ. Because when I've done it for the least of these, I've done it for you. So I've seen you in them, and I've been connected to that. And he's he's shifting, he's challenging our our attitude in the way that we approach people in whatever need it may be. The other side of this thing is really fascinating to me as well, because he's talking about the fact we see Jesus in, in those situations, but he's also talking about the fact that we see Jesus in the way that he meets and provides for people in those situations. That he's not just talking about saying, actually, when you do a good deed for somebody, you see something of Christ in them. That's absolutely true. But he's saying, actually, I want you to see the way that Christ meets those needs in people. And I want to do that, just to finish up, and it is to finish up, I want to just go to three passages really quickly. We just go to, we'll start with Acts 6, verse 1 to 8. Can't we find Acts? Bear me a second. Acts 6, there we go. So Acts 6, verse 1 to 8. It says this. Now in those days, when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were being neglected in the distribution, somebody in physical need. And the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the world and serve at tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among the seven... Um, men of good sight, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who we may appoint over the, this business. We will give ourselves continue to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, uh, and the Holy Spirit, and the Philip, uh, Procurus, uh, Nicona, Timon, um, Parnius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they lay hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests, other priests were obedient to the faith. Verse 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Really important thing for me this. We, we've talked about whether it's physical need or social need. We, we've talked about practical needs. I can 
practically meet someone who is hungry and thirsty and naked and provide for them. That, that's not, it's not hard to do, but I can practically do that, okay? I can, to a certain degree, practically engage someone who I'm estranged with. It's a lot harder to do without the love of Christ filling in my heart, but I can do it to some degree. I can sort of engage somebody in prison, but I'll probably get to a certain point where actually I can't with that person without that filling my heart. And I can be with a person who is sick, um, and I can, to a certain degree, those things are practical things I can meet the needs of. What's fascinating to me is you have a situation here in Acts where there, there's a practical need. The widows, I, people without husbands, are physically lacking food. And therefore, they've kind of identified that and gone, we want people to go and minister to that. But what's really powerful for me is they didn't separate the practical from the, from the supernatural or the practical from the spiritual. I don't like even dividing those things because they don't divide those things. That they actually pray over these guys about their serving on tables. So they, they, they immediately connect the fact that actually there, there is a practical need, but at the same time, it, this is a spiritual thing. Yeah. And they don't divorce the two. They don't separate the two. That when Jesus is talking about the least of these and these practical things he talks about, he's not divorcing the spiritual from that. He's not saying, right, I want my church to be a social action group who just do really good deeds. That, that's absolutely important to do. But he's not divorcing the, the, the kind of spiritual from it. If you want a better expression, he's not divorcing the supernatural from the natural action. That anybody, really, can provide food if they want to. Okay? And that's important that we do that as a church. But at the same time, he's saying, actually, I don't want to divorce the, the provision of food from the supernatural provision of other things. Or even in the provision of food, that there's a supernatural element to it, or a spiritual element to it. And it's really powerful for me, because then in verse 8, they've done this thing, they've done this, and then it introduces Stephen. And it says a line in there that always catches my attention. It says that, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. He's just been assigned to provide food for the widows. Then it talks about among the people. The people that those signs and wonders happen amongst are the ones he's providing food for. It's not a different group of people. It's not going, right, for you, I provide food and whatever you need practically. For you over here, I provide supernatural healing and signs and wonders. It's not that. It's actually, to you, I provide food, but I also provide the supernatural. Because they didn't divorce the two things. They didn't go, actually, practical need, supernatural need. Practical need, supernatural need. It was need. Like Jesus said, when you look to the least of these, in whatever position they're in, whatever need they have, when you provide the need, you do that supernaturally. Whether that's a practical, here's a tin of food, or whether that's here's a healing of cancer. But actually the provision of those things is connected together. Even society is catching up on the idea that Obamacare, the whole point of Obamacare was that actually you, you come into hospital and you've got a sickness or an illness. We're going to cure that sickness and illness with medicine and whatever it may be. We're actually going to find out why that sickness and illness was there in the first place. You're going to find out what it is. Is it your home life? Is it your, is it your kind of diet? Is it your kind of the kind of social groups? Is it your lack of education? What, it, what is it that has caused that sickness to be there, that illness to be there in the first place? Because if we can find out what caused it, we're going to put some money into solving that. Why? Because then you're not going to come back. And that, that is a, a, for want of a better expression, that, that is a human political social solution to something. But they're starting to connect the dots. Actually, that causes this. And that's not obvious. It's not rocket science, okay? But they're starting to connect the dots. But in the same kind of way, we as, even as Christians sometimes, connect, disconnect them. We actually, well, this person's in physical need. Absolutely that. But actually, I can provide for that, but there's a supernatural element that comes with it because that, that's what provides it. In the same way that I will get to the end of myself with that person in prison because somebody in prison is going to be somebody that I cannot cope with the reason they're in prison. 
unless there's a supernatural element that kind of or a spiritual element that, that flows through me in my meeting of that need at the same time. And therefore, the point of this is that as you just highlights when you're doing it to the least of these, he's not saying, okay, just be practically good. He's saying, actually doing that, bring a supernatural element to it. Bring something of, of, of me into that situation, both in your practical goodness, but also in your goodness in the way that you meet them supernaturally and you encounter with them. And you see that constantly in the life of Jesus. And just to finish off, we're going to go to two, two verses. So Matthew 9. Back into Matthew. You see Jesus connect these two things constantly. The practical. Do this to the least of these in their practical needs, social need. But also he brings that spiritual element into the answer of those things. Matthew 9 and verse 18 22. It says this, while he spoke things, so while Jesus spoke things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for twelve years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she had said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, I'm not going to focus on that because that will take me all the way away from what we're doing. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. Now, this woman had a flow of blood. She had a, had a medical situation. Without going into details of it, that medical situation kept her isolated. She was not allowed to be with people. She is one of the people that Jesus is talking about when he says, and when I was sick, you came to me. She'd have been that person because she would not have been able to interact with people. She'd have not been able to know people. She'd have not been able to be around people. So therefore, she is literally that person. When I was sick, you came to me. Therefore, Jesus didn't just come to her. You see Jesus in this situation, his, his response to her is warm, is affectionate. He is connecting himself to her. And therefore, he is embodying that attitude of actually yeah you're i knew you were sick and i'm going to be with you but actually at the same time i'm not going to leave you in your sickness and be with you in your sickness i'm actually going to bring healing to your body so you're not excluded anymore that she would not be allowed to push through the crowd and to to be there and and all that kind of stuff but but she's on her last kind of chance like if i if i can just touch him if i can just get near him i'm going to be made well this is the cry of a desperate woman who's been like this for years for decades and is going if i can just touch his garment this is my last chance my last chance to be well so she she takes that chance she she comes from her exclusion from her estrangement and she finds that physical need being resolved of human company but at the same time supernatural healing and therefore jesus connects the two and by connecting the two he's met her physical body need but he's also brought her company again because she's now able to be part of society again. She's now able to know people and talk to people and speak to people. He has included somebody who was estranged. Now, we have no real challenge with that because she, she's clearly a woman in massive need. And she'd be somebody, if we had the possibility and the reality, which we do, to meet her need, we would do that instantly. But my next one is just to show the flip side of this. If we just go to Luke 19. And it says this. Again, this is about Jesus saying, when you do it to the least of these, those who are sick, you came to me. But at the same time, he's talking about the fact that when I was a stranger, you welcomed me. So think about that language. Luke 19. And verse 1. I think we are yet. Yeah, verse 1. 
Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Love the fact they've included that in there because that's really important. And he sought to see Jesus, to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when he saw it, uh, they all, so, but when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to, the guest, to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And then Jesus, and Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because, of, because he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Think about it. When you were, when I was a stranger, you welcomed me. He is welcoming Zacchaeus because he's going to his home. He 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 is doing something in the context of very 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 poor people who have been empowered who have been empowered by Jesus, but very poor people who have followed him and are the crowd that, that surround him in this situation. And he doesn't focus on one of them. He doesn't focus on somebody who's going to get him more kudos because actually if I focus on another poor person, I heal another woman caught in adultery, I, I kind of restore another woman with the issue of blood, whatever it may be, then the crowd are going to be even more joyous because actually this is Jesus, the liberator of the, of the poor and the underprivileged, who Zacchaeus has probably been the one that's caused him to be poor and underprivileged. Instead of doing all that, he, he connects with the man who is estranged from that community. Zacchaeus is not the popular one in this crowd. He's the unpopular one in this crowd. I would even question Zacchaeus' motives in wanting to see Jesus. Zacchaeus is a political man. Jesus is a, a force in that community, in that society. I would suggest Zacchaeus thinks, okay, this guy's important. I want to know a bit about him because he's going to help me get him richer. I would suggest that the point in time that Zacchaeus climbs that tree, the point in time that Zacchaeus wants to know Jesus, his motives are not pure. In the sense, I want salvation. I need to change my ways. I don't think he's even thinking that for a moment. I think he's thinking, this guy's going to help me. But the point is that Jesus welcomes and comes to the estranged. In this situation, the estranged is a rich, wealthy man who is probably a politician. is very, very involved in that area of things. In the previous situation, the estranged was a woman who was poor with an issue of blood who didn't know anybody because she wasn't allowed to. So Jesus is not just welcoming those who are poor, he's not just welcoming those who are rich, he's welcoming the whole lot of it because the estrangement depends on who you're with. At that point in time he was with the poor and the needy and therefore Zacchaeus was the strange one. At the other point in time he was with people that didn't want anything to do with that woman therefore she was the estranged one. But he welcomes Zacchaeus into his home. People are annoyed about Zacchaeus being welcomed into his home. But Zacchaeus' response to that is beautiful because you don't know what Jesus said to him, you don't know what happened in that, in that house, but something changed in Zacchaeus' life that he came out of that home different than when he went in. And that's because Jesus connected to him. So when Jesus talks about do it for the least of these, he's not measuring least here by wealth or physical need. Zacchaeus didn't have any physical need, other than the fact he was short. He wasn't lacking for food, he wasn't lacking for water, he wasn't lacking for clothes. He was just estranged from the community that he was around and about there okay he was welcomed by Jesus 
He was welcomed by Jesus. And therefore that transformed his life. And Jesus' challenge, I suppose, to us today as an ongoing thing is that actually when you do it for the least of these, that we do it for him. That I can see something of Jesus in that rich tax collector that I can't see anywhere else. I can see something of Jesus in that woman with the issue of blood that I can't see anywhere else. I can see something of Jesus in that homeless person on the street that I cannot see anywhere else. That I can see something of Jesus in the, the kind of person that is in prison for a reason I don't want to have him think about that I can't see anywhere else. I can see Jesus in the person who is sick in a way that actually I don't want to know or be around that person who's sick for whatever reason that might be. That All that set of circumstances, I can see some of Jesus in those places that I don't see anywhere else. And therefore my reason for engaging in those places, the reason for my engaging with those people is not because actually I've got more, I'm the most and you're the least therefore my most will help your least the reason for engaging in those situations is because actually if I don't then actually I'm lacking actually I don't have I don't see Jesus in the way that he really is because I've just got this pigeonholed view of this is what he looks like but actually when I engage by providing food for the hungry by being with the one who's in prison by by welcoming the estranged by whatever it may be when I when I do that I see something more of Jesus and I am more full in the same way that they are more full that I am more welcome in the same way that they are more welcome that I am provided for in the same way that they are provided for and it's that shift it's not going well okay we've both got needs my needs are much greater than your needs Mr Person's got no house or home I'm not talking about that at all what I'm saying is actually as I engage in that environment it changes me to cause me to see more Jesus but actually you to see more Jesus too and it's that that flip sided dynamic between these two things so Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would, again, as we've been praying, this, the, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, just pray that that would just continue to flow. That we wouldn't just think, okay, you only show us on a Sunday morning. But I ask that as we give you time this week, as we, as we focus in on you, as we turn to our Bibles, as we spend time in worship, as we spend time in prayer, that you would help us to see Jesus. That you would reveal him to us in the lives of the people we interact with, in our, in our Bibles, in our worship. But in the least of these, whoever that may be, you would help us to see Jesus in those situations. That we would become richer because of our interaction and engagement and connection with people that Jesus is connecting with. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.